So on behalf of Chess, I'd like to welcome you to the June 2016 podcast. I'm Kyle Hogarth from the University of Chicago, editor of the podcast section. Thank you for joining us today for another terrific conversation as we do another point-counterpoint discussion. My first guest is Today is Dr. Pietro Caironi. He's the Associate Professor in the Department of Pathophysiology and Transplantation from the University of Milan in Milan, Italy. He's here to discuss his article, Point, Should Intravenous Albumin Be Used for Volume Resuscitation in Severe Sepsis Slash Septic Shock? Yes. Pietro, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you very much for the invitation. My next guest is Dr. Angel Kaziataco. He's the Assistant Professor of Medicine from the Division of Pulmonary, Critical Care, and Sleep Medicine from the University of Kentucky. He's here to discuss his article, Point, Should Intravenous Albumin Be Used for Volume Resuscitation in Severe Sepsis Slash Septic Shock? No. Angel, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Pleasure to be here, and thanks, Dr. Caroni, for joining us in this interesting conversation. So, so guys, let's 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 back up for a second and and, and give our listeners a, a, a kind of the really big picture um, and set some debate here for us, if you are set the framework for this debate. Why why do we even care? Fluids are fluids, right? If you're under resuscitated, don't I just need to get you some volume? So why is anyone even bothering to look at the type? And then we'll and then we'll dig in and and debate, you know, the albumin question. But just help help everyone understand why this why anyone even cares. Go ahead, Pietro. Why don't you start? Okay. Uh, so I think that in the last decade uh, regarding the, the how we treat patients with sepsis and septic shock, it became clear that also the type of fluids may matter and may actually affect the clinical outcomes of patients with sepsis. And we have learned that from basically the side effects observed for the use of idoxyl starch in the treatment of patients with septic shock. And we have learned that basically also the type of fluid may matter. Uh, now, this is, I think, a very hot topic right now. And we have also started to look at possible effects of different type of crystalloids. So I think that uh, we have learned in the last decade that uh, fluids may and should be treated as dark. And from this point of view, they may affect also the type of, uh, and the, the type of treatment in patients with sepsis. So uh, this is, I think, in my opinion, uh, the, the main reason why fluids uh, is actually a very hot topic in the treatment of patients with sepsis. But Hill, what do you think? Anything to add, or do you agree with that kind of the, the, the ten thousand foot view here as we're starting off? Oh, absolutely, I, I completely agree with Dr. Caroni, and I think there's been a lot of data back and forth which one is better. But I think in the overall picture, there's really not a perfect solution, a perfect fluid that I mean we can say categorically that it's definitely better than any other. And that's I think the basis for this debate. I mean we're going to be talking a little bit, hopefully, about the pathophysiology and I mean all the all the physiologic plausibility and also on the on the um, uh, clinical evidence for the use favoring one or the other so okay so then that's obviously you know as you said, I think Pietro, you know, we should be viewing this as a as a as a drug, not just that hey, it's it's fluid. So you know, then like any other intervention that we do, we we like to dive a little bit deeper and have a discussion about the pros and cons of the various things that we can put into a patient, and that obviously then brings us to today's discussion and the the two articles that and the and the rebuttals and so forth that you all wrote and that's you know currently in chest, which is obviously the debate on albumin as a resuscitating fluid um, in severe sepsis and septic shock. So, Pietro, why don't you, you, you lead us off. You're the on the pro side. So, state your case for albumin um, and at least the science behind why albumin should be a good idea. 
Okay. So, uh, well, first of all, I really uh, would like to thank you for the possibility of discussing and to have a POCON debate on this topic, because I really think that, actually, uh, we don't have a, a clear answer yet. Uh, so, in my opinion, the, 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 the possible beneficial effects of albumin, first of all, relates to the physiology of albumin in our body. So we know that albumin has, is the main protein uh, responsible for the oncotic properties in our in intravascular compartment, but may also have a, a lot of secondary uh, functions, such as, such as antioxidant and anti-inflammatory properties, and may also uh, work as a scavenger of free oxygen, uh, free oxygen radicals and may also have some important role in the immunomodulating, in, in, in the modulation of the immune system. So uh, arguing physiologically has a lot of secondary uh, functions that may be very important in patients with severe sepsis. Now, the second, I think, important observation to keep in mind is that uh, patients with sepsis uh, are hyperbuminemic. And hyperbuminemia per se in this category of patients is an independent risk factor for an increased morbidity and mortality. So from this point of view, I think there is a strong rationale supporting the hypothesis that the correction of hyperbuminemia in this category of patients may have a beneficial effect. Now, the, the starting point of our trial was based on the uh, preliminary data from the SAFE trial, which first of all um, uh, demonstrate that albumin may be safe in critical patients and may have a beneficial effect in this category of patients. And uh, the issue, I think, is if the uh, method we have available to correct hyperbuminemia uh, is, first of all, effective, and second, uh, it may be beneficial and may, may not have any side effects. And this actually is the reason why we have started our trial. Now, the results of our trial are kind of well known. Uh, we, don't, we did not observe any uh, improvement in outcome, and especially in 28 survival, 28 day survival, which was the primary endpoint of our trial. But we did observe uh, hemodynamic advantages. So, uh, and first of, and second point, uh, we also observed in, in the subcategory of patients with septic shock uh, a possible beneficial effect. And uh, so, in conclusion, uh, st uh, based upon the fact that we have a strong physiological rationale and we have uh, um, data supporting uh, hemodynamic advantages, and uh, most importantly, we, we do not have any data supporting side effects in using albumin-containing solution. I think that especially in patients with septic shock, albumin may be beneficial and may uh, sh and actually should be included in the treatment of this category of patients. Okay. Anhil, obviously from the pro-con side, what, what do you agree with? What do you disagree with? Let's, uh, let's throw down the gauntlet and go. <laughs> Perfect. I definitely agree with Dr. Keronigo that we do not have a clear answer. And I completely agree that based on the physiology, there are a lot of elements that albumin could, uh, mean, be, in which could albumin could be potentially beneficial. Uh, however, uh, a couple of questions that we posed in our argument was, 
is the albumin that we are prescribing the same as the albumin that is physiologically in, in the patient, and that is something that we discuss. And we found some data that actually shows that it's not necessarily the same, and there could be some uh, trans transcriptional changes that, I mean, could potentially affect. There's no data to really say or not that it does affect it or not. And the other point that we disagree is that, I mean, the clinical outcomes, and, I mean, there is data from SAFE that definitely showed that there was a trend towards better outcomes in patients with severe sepsis. However, this trial was not clearly designed to answer this question. It was a post hoc analysis. And then in the Albius trial, which I think we're going to discuss a little bit more at length later, that means I think I can, we can discuss that a little bit later. But I think one of the other, other, for the other areas that we definitely agree is that albumin, when it's low, I mean, the patients have higher mortality. The question is, is it really an epiphenomenon or is it truly albumin, hypoalbuminemia that is causing the mortality? And if there's the role of replacing albumin, it would change these outcomes. So that, that will be my argument so far on we're saying that definitely the physiologic, uh, I mean, it's really strong, the physiology behind using albumin. However, is has this really translated into clinical outcomes? And number two is, is it the same? Is it what we are prescribing in, 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 a pharmace- in, in the bottles that we give to the patients in the ICU the same as the albumin that they will have under normal physiologic conditions? Peter, what do you think? Uh, absolutely, I, I agree with my opponent that actually uh, the albumin uh, contained in albumin-containing solutions may not be the same from a morphological point of view that we have in our body. And actually, uh, I totally agree with my opponent that we have very scarce data uh, investigating this issue. And probably we may know the reason why we have few data because, of course, industries are not so you know, well disposed to support this kind of studies. And there are few data supporting the hypothesis that uh, hydrogen containing solution may have a higher rate of oxidation of the molecular albumin. But at the same time, we have data supporting the fact that we infuse albumin, uh, sticking on the same antioxidant property of albumin, the total uh, buffering capacity of our body is increased. So it's true that probably albumin contained in the albumin-containing solution is not the same, but at the same time we have data supporting the hypothesis that when we infuse albumin, and at the moment this is what we have in our hands, uh, the antioxidant capacity of our body is increased. So this, I think, uh, one of the important points we need to keep in mind. And the second, uh, uh, the second point regarding our child, of course, we may discuss a little bit, a little bit more about that later on, but uh, it's true that overall the trial may be considered as negative because we did not observe any difference in the primary endpoint uh, in the real study population. And uh, this, I think, may be related to many different aspects. And, of course, this also may be related to the fact that probably albumin may be beneficial, but we need to uh, to choose uh, other endpoints uh, all, um, with, uh, with uh, an important clinical relevance, but not mortality. And the second point is that maybe 
albumin will be beneficial in specific subgroup of patients, as we observe, we have observed in patients with septic shock. So probably we need to dig more into the data in order to find out whether there are specific categories of patients that may have a beneficial effect from receiving albumin. Yeah, I, I, I agree that, uh, I mean, the again, the physiology is strong. However, there's also some data that's saying that, I mean, the albumin that gets prescribed has, when they tested multiple batches of albumin, they have very different configurations chemically that definitely could affect. And even in the batch from the same manufacturer, there could be significant differences in the kind of albumin that we are prescribing. And I think that is a problem that, I mean, could potentially have some um, mean, consequences. It's really, we don't know at this moment yet. And also, I think, regarding the results of the study, I, I, I think, I mean, I agree definitely with Dr. Kironi that it could be considered a negative trial. And there's some really good elements to, that could be obtained from, from, from the trial, like, for example, the fact that the patients that receive albumin uh, were less time on pressors. Unfortunately, the mortality did not show the, the benefit. I agree that we may be looking at the wrong outcome, and that's one point that we also mentioned in the editorial is how do we explain the fact that there is a mortality benefit in the patients with septic shock at 90 days but not at 28 days when albumin was only given for, I mean, on average, I mean, at the most was 28 days, but it was designed to be given during the duration of the ICU state, which looking at the paper is on average about nine days. So that is a big question mark that we have is how does albumin produce uh, benefit at 90 days without producing benefit at 28 days when it was given for a, in a lot of these patients for a short time period? And, and that's one question that I would pose also as part of the debate. Well, let me let me throw out something for kind of both of you um, as just a I'll give you the, the ultimate pessimist answer here, and then and you guys, you know, Anhilly, since you're on the con side, you can tell me if I'm being overly pessimistic, and Pietro, you can you can tell me where I'm wrong. So we've had um, now some large studies look at this, and essentially, unless we start doing subgroup analysis and to be blunt, data mining, um, all we've proven is that albumin is an extremely expensive fluid to resuscitate patients on compared to, you know, normal saline or lactated ringers or or you know whatever. Um, so why are we even asking this question? Still, and like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be provocative on purpose, but um, sure, sure, sure. what do you think, Anhil? Am I being overly, overly pessimistic? And, uh, and, and, and obviously, I know Pietro is not going to agree with me. But... <laughs> <laughs> I, that okay. was exactly. Oh, go ahead. You can go, Pietro. No, no, okay. Uh, your question is, is, is crucial, of course. And right. um, I, I think that. We do, we do not we should not consider albumin as a resuscitation fluid, while albumin should be considered as a drug. So the real question is if we need to replace albumin when we have a low serum albumin level, uh, okay. or or not. So in, in other words, I, 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 at the moment I will not consider albumin as a resuscitation fluid. In our trial, the, the albumin group was treated with crystalloid plus albumin, but in order to maintain a serum albumin level. So once again, the issue is if we need to replace albumin or not as a, uh, as a parameter, uh, if you will, not as uh, a resuscitation fluid. Like, 
like buffing electrolytes. You, like, like your, so your argument is like we need to be using it like buffing electrolytes. You know, like for the interns. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> As a I will, not, I will not. I will not be using albumin-containing solution. I will use crystallized, of course. Okay. Yes. Oh, no, what do you think? Uh, and, and, oh, I'm sorry, Pietro. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. no. Go, 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 go ahead, my opponent. So actually, no that was the motivation for us to uh, raise some concerns because in the United States. Uh, at least the cost of albumin, volume by volume, is at least 40 to 80 times the use of crystalloids. And so our contention was there's really, at least from our interpretation of the data, there's not a clear proven benefit that it does improve mortality. And they, we also raised some concerns that, I mean, there could be some potential for harm, but, for harm, but again, this is all really in some sense, data mining as well. And one thing that we have also to remember is that in the, latest, in the later years in critical care, we have been really, really cautious with the administration of blood products. And although albumin comes from pharmacy, most of the time it is a blood product that has some modifications. And I think we should treat albumin with the same caution, being that this is a blood product that we are transfusing to our patients. And there may be a lot of unknowns that we just don't know. So our contention was there's really not clear-cut benefit in our, at least in our interpretation of the data. There could be some unknowns regarding, regarding uh, some uh, harms like, for example, um, analysis of the SAFE trial showed that there could be some elevation LFTs, some um, more uh, incidence of uh, metabolic acidosis, and also uh, uh, prolongation of the PTT that we, are typically not things that we would attribute to albumin, but these patients that once they receive albumin have higher incidence of that. Uh, in addition to that, added to the cost that, for example, here in my institution, the United States, uh, we were um, uh, having a lot of albumin use, and we established some, um, in some sense, some evidence-based uh, use of albumin. And we have been able to decrease the use of albumin. We have not really seen an increase in mortality. Again, I think the biggest driving of this, our contention was, this is a really expensive uh, blood product, and is it really, does it really make sense to use that much when that much of this when really the evidence supporting its use is not as strong as we would like? I think there would be a role for albumin. We just need to figure out what that role is, and until then, we should probably maybe limit the use of albumin to um, research settings, clinical trials. Would you agree with that, Pietro? Uh, yes. I mean, uh, I would say that it's true that albumin is a blood product, but uh, um, from I mean from the last two decades we do not have any data supporting the possible harmful effect related to the fact that it's a blood product. So I think it's just a theoretical possible risk, but we don't have any data supporting that. And uh, regarding the, the, the cost of albumin, of course it's costly, but if, if we talk about treatment applied in ICU or other treatment, as for example the new drug for the treatment of hepatitis C, I think that albumin is not so costly. I mean, we are talking about maybe $79 a day added to the top of thousands of dollars. So the real issue for me is whether there is a beneficial effect or not. And uh, from this point of view, I think it will be a cost-effective treatment if 
we will be able to confirm that there is a beneficial effect in specific categories of patients. Well, that comes back to the core question, right? Is low albumin? We know it's a, you know, it's a has a, I guess I'll use the word prognostic uh, effect in the sense of we know, you know, worse outcomes associated with lower, but is it the problem or is it the sign of the fact that you're sick and that, you know, this fixing it, which seems logical on one level, but does it matter, right? And that comes back to the real core of the debate, really, not so much volume expansion per se, but um, using albumin to fix, you know, if it, like as if it was an electrolyte and we're replacing an electrolyte. Uh, I mean, is that the core uh, of the discussion? Uh, yeah, I think that that's the core of the discussion because the, the issue is to understand whether hyperbuinemia is just an epiphenomenon or has some pathophysiological role, in, especially in sepsis and in septic shock patients. And, uh, of course, in my opinion, based upon the physiology of albumin and based upon the pathophysiology of sepsis, it may have a uh, pathophysiological role. And uh, I would like also to, to, go, to go a little bit back to the, the question of my opponent regarding the uh, beneficial effects in the long-term outcome as compared to a short-term outcome in, we, in which we, didn't, we did not observe any different in outcomes. And actually, this, I think, uh, once again supports the hypothesis that albumin may work based upon the second hypothesis of albumin. Because, of course, if we are dealing, for instance, with oxidative stress, and antioxidant properties, we need, we need time in order to, to see a beneficial effect. Free oxygen radicals, for instance, work in aging, and aging, of course, needs time to, you know, to, to worsen our body. So I, in my opinion, in, in my mind, uh, this is another sign on the possible mechanisms by which albumin may have a beneficial effect in this specific category of patients. So that's definitely, I think, one of the potential explanations for this phenomenon, that the mortality benefit was only seen at 90 days and not at 28 days. But I would also like to pose the potential that this was a result of, as Kyle uh, call it, I mean, data mining. I mean, when we do subgroup analysis, we have the potential to introduce selection bias and sampling error. And if we do I mean, multiple testing for multiple groups, we also introduce the risk of running I mean, into the problem of multiple testing. And I don't know if, I mean, one other possibility that we have to recognize is that this mortality benefit at 90 days may be just the result of this potential statistical problems that, I mean, that happen once we do multiple subgroup analysis, but also recognizing that there may be some of the effects that Pietro is mentioning, that maybe the effects were not seen at 28 days, but were seen at 90 days. But I think we will not know the answer. I guess, I mean, if we look at, at, at the same data from two different angles, I mean, one can think that there is the physiologic benefit, but somebody else may think this is mainly related to the, I mean, statistical analysis of multiple groups. Uh, yeah, Angela, I, I actually, I totally agree with you. And that's why I think we need to have, and actually we are trying to work in that direction, to have an, a confirmation of this beneficial effect. I totally agree with the conclusion we have written in our 
and our manuscript published on the New England Journal of Medicine, in which we basically said that uh, the possible beneficial effects of albumin in patients with septic shock needs further confirmation, because uh, I, I admit the limitations you, you have observed in, in our postdoc analysis. Of course, when we are dealing with postdoc analysis, we know that this may be you know, a, a result of chance. Uh, I strongly believe that there is a pathophysiological rational uh, supporting that beneficial effect, but at the same time, I'm, I strongly believe that we need further confirmation of that uh, specific result. I think we both agree in the sense that there needs to be more, more investigation. Absolutely. I think, and that is what our contention was, because I think there is more and more science evolving into this, and we are hopefully going to get smarter and know if there's a role for albumin in the coming years. But until then, I think given the high cost that at least here in the U.S., I don't know how it is in Italy, but it's a significant burden for institutions, maybe should be restricted only to research clinical trial settings. I'm not well, writing... that's a possibility. Yeah, I mean, that's a possibility, but... Uh, um, I... At the moment, at least in, in my ICU, in, 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 in our, I think in Italy and I think also in Europe, we are, we are using albumin special septic shock just based upon the possible beneficial effect and the absence of detrimental effects. Mm-hmm. And uh, I agree that it's an, an extra cost, but in my opinion, it's absolutely uh, justifiable and it's absolutely uh, low as compared to many other treatments applied in ICU. But that's, of course, my opinion. As well, you know, say, like, Anil, let me throw out, uh, I threw out one provocative statement in one direction. Let me throw one out the other direction. You guys can chew it over. I mean, mm-hmm. if, we, if we take it that the data seems to support that albumin administration is safe, I mean, we've raised some theoretical concerns, but um, if we take that as it's safe, um, and if there's a chance that it may help, um, if we're trying to save money by not infusing albumin. I mean, there's clearly a lot of other things we do in the MICU that we could be saving money by not doing. And, you know, it just seems like we're, we're counting pennies while we're throwing thousands out the door. So, I mean, um, so the other provocative question is, well, why not? I mean, even if the science is borderline or if we can debate the numbers, but is there a downside to doing this outside of, of meager financial differences? And again, I'm throwing this out there to be provocative and see what you guys think. Well, of course, I totally agree with you. Uh, I'd say why not? <laughs> of course. And I would say why not? Because, uh, as you said, there is the possibility that there may be of a beneficial effect, and, up, and we are kind of sure that we don't have any detrimental effects. And if we can save money from other possible treatment applied without any you know, any, any further rational, I think that this is the direction we need to go. But that, that's, of course, I'm kind of biased, I guess. Anil, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what do you think, man? <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. <laughs> I guess, I mean, <laughs> it is a valid point, but again, not just because we can spend so much money in, in, in something. I mean, we certainly, it would be justified if there is evidence. In this case, it's it's not completely clear, so my bias would be to why don't we wait until we have more solid evidence, and until then we mainly restrict it 
to I mean research settings and I mean, because I mean institution by institution I mean individually in patients we may be talking about eighty dollars a day but when you add that into, into the global we're talking about millions and millions of dollars yeah. that excellent point yeah because I mean I, I can speak about my institution uh, our cost of album per year was over two million dollars and we in a stepwise fashion we were able to decrease that almost by forty percent. So we I mean we're spending I mean almost a million dollars less in, in in albumin, but at the same time we have not seen any any increasing in in mortality. So I think I mean I think the jury is out there, and we can argue either way, and I don't think we we will get to a, a consensus. But I think right. I mean it's it's we definitely I mean are more liberal in other things in critical care, like I mean all these really expensive interventions that we do, and we may not necessarily be under the microscope looking at how expensive they are. But I think there's also a motivation, at least in healthcare, to change that and to be most, more conscious about how much uh, resources we're spending, especially when they do not make a difference that we can prove. So, so one of the problems in any study, of course, at the very beginning is, is did I recruit the correct type of patients? And if you say, well, I, you know, we used this definition and they all met this definition, but then as we know, the definitions tend to change on us as well. And we just did a podcast a few months ago on the new definitions of sepsis. Um, and the new sepsis guidelines. Do you think that we need to enter this albumin debate again using that as our lens and our framework? Well, I have to admit that the definition we have employed for septic shock in our study was a little bit different from the new definition of septic shock because we did not include the serum lactate concentration higher than two. But uh, instead, we uh, decided uh, to define patients with shock as patients uh, in need of uh, uh, a relatively large dose of osopressors. That, and that was actually the type of definition that was uh, available at, at the time. Uh, I have also to admit that our results will, um, did not change if we actually have performed this type of analysis. And, uh, there's no difference in this, the beneficial effect of albumin if we apply the new definition. So, uh, of course, mm, things may change with the new definition, and actually I think that it's a better definition, especially for septic shock patients and for the clinical relevance of sepsis. Um, but uh, well, we will see in, in, in a possible next dial. But so far the results uh, may may maybe maybe may hold Yeah, I think the new definitions could potentially help select patients that are, in my opinion, at least sicker, because now to define septic shock, we're introducing the element of lactate. I, I agree with Pietro that it helps to standardize, I mean, it's more, more, um, more clear in, in which patient is now septic and in septic shock. And, I mean, there could be a role maybe by selecting a uh, cohort of sicker patients. Maybe we can see the difference that we're not seeing in some of the patients with severe sepsis that I mean, uh, are not as sick as, as the patients with severe shock, uh, septic shock. I'm sorry. Okay. What haven't we talked about, guys? We've been talking for a little bit, and, and I want to be mindful of your time and mindful of our listeners' times. What, what, what haven't we discussed? What area that did we not chew over yet? If any, I think we've covered at least from my part the in the concerns in the statistics, and I think I mean Pietro agrees with those. And 
I mean, we both, I think, see this from a different angle. He sees that there is benefit. I see that, I mean, this data is not strong enough to, to see that there is a benefit. One thing that I, I mean that is really good about, I mean, the Albius trial is a very well-done trial, that patients that receive albumin require pressors for less number of days. One of the concerns that we also had was the fact that Although the difference in hemodynamic variables were statistically significant, I mean, clinically, they mean clinicians probably agree that they are not meaningful at the bedside, and that is one of the concerns that we had. We're talking about difference in heart rate or mean arterial pressure of about one to two points, that although they made the criteria to be statistically significant, we kind of felt that at the bedside, they were probably not as relevant as we would like. And I mean, I still, I think there's still a lot of unknowns regarding the potential for harm, and maybe is the fact that we just don't even think about this possibility. And I mean, it, it may be happening, we're just not attributing it to albumin, like was what was found in the analysis of, of some of the data of the SAFE trial. And again, I, I, I stand by the fact that, I mean, it's, it's a really costly intervention, and I mean, I think we should be more judicious using it. Yep. Uh, yes, I think that uh, well, regarding the hemodynamic results, uh, I would like to underline the fact that probably, yes, the difference in mean arterial pressure was not clinically relevant, but I think that, for instance, the difference in net positive fluid balance may actually be, uh, because we, we actually observed a lower net positive fluid balance of about half a liter or one liter during the first four and five days, and I think that this may have a clinical relevance in patients with severe sepsis and shock. Yeah, absolutely. About and, the fluid balance, the same, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing, actually, I think uh, may be true also for uh, a shorter period of vasopressor. Uh, it's true that one day may, may, you know, may, may, be, may seem to be not not. Uh, uh, long period, but one day uh, out of four days, I think it's a, it's it, it may be a, a result with a, with a clinical relevance. And uh, the other the other issue I would like to raise is that uh, the other possibility for which we did not observe a, any uh, strong significant difference in the virostatic population is that the difference may be present in, once again, in other specific category of patients uh, besides the patients with septic shock, and the results may be diluted in the overall study population, which, of course, may be still heterogeneous, because when we talk about patients with sepsis, we are uh, anyway talking about patients with uh, different phenotypes, and so that's why I think we need to, uh, to do more research and to dig a little bit more on the data we have at the moment in order to find out whether there are other potential responders for this treatment. Absolutely, I agree. I think that the less time on pressors, I don't think anyone would argue that it's a beneficial. It's beneficial, and I think as I mean, we need to get more and more research ongoing on this, and hopefully we have better answers and maybe find this niche for albumin that actually we can categorically say that it does make a difference. But I agree with you that definitely the fact that the patients were on pressors for, even if it's a few hours, I think that is something that is important to, to highlight from the Albius trial. Yeah. Excellent. 
Well, hey, at least we found a way to end on an agreeing point, right? <laughs> <laughs> as always, actually. <laughs> so I encourage our listeners as well, the, the ProCon debate in, in the published form is, is actually an, an excellent uh, written discussion on this as well, obviously with, with all the appropriate references. And so it, it really, this conversation obviously adds to what's written. It's, it's not a substitute. So this is, a, uh, as always, a, a really great discussion. And, and I want to thank both of you for uh, your time and, and for contributing. So thanks so much. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you, thank you very much for this. Yeah, and thank you very much for this fruitful discussion. And I really enjoyed it. And I think it's really important to discuss with this type of reasoning together on this type of issue. Absolutely. One more point of agreement with Pietro. I think we both agree we had fun. And in- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There you go. There you go. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Have a great, have a great so day. Much. Okay. Bye-bye.